Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Korean American Parenting. And we wish you health and safety and happiness. It's been a really tough month and a tough year for Asian Americans. Uh, We have witnessed um, unspeakable acts of violence and hate and racism against our community. Um, We are looking for ways to heal. We are looking for ways to get active. And and for some, we are uh, really dreading the day that our kids go back to school and and have to face some of these ugly realities uh, from their uh, classmates and people they maybe thought were their friends. Um, So we are here, uh, Jeng and I are here at our podcast, and, and we always reserve a show out of our month out of the month uh, to answer your questions um, about all of that and the things that uh, might be on your mind. And so my name is Jerry. I am one of our co- I am one of the co-hosts for Korean American Parenting. Um, I'm a father of two. We are located in Southern California. And um, previous to this, or I guess currently, I run a media company and uh, was a consultant before this. And uh, here is Jang to uh, share with you all a little bit about herself. Hi, everybody, again. Um, so my name is Jane Cho. I'm a childhood and adolescent psychiatrist with uh, interest in, special interest in Asian-American children's mental health. I'm a mother of four-year-old girl um, and the co-host with Jerry. Um, so today we're going to be talking a lot about um, young children and any questions that we get. Of course, if the audience wants um, um, questions about older kids, that's fine too. Um, but uh, we'll start there. Uh, we're going to start with the one that we got um, in our inbox yesterday. And so my husband, three-year-old, and I are temporarily living with my parents while we look for a house. And it's been extended due to COVID. And so it's ongoing a year and a half. Uh, most recently, our multi-generational household has been dealing with a difference in how to teach manners to our three-year-old son. My mom gets frustrated when he does not say good morning or hi to her and will actually face away from her to avoid talking to her when she tries to engage him in conversation. She often presses him to say please and thank you or for him to finish his food. I am more, much more of a believer that modeling is a natural way of learning and want my son to have genuine manners. I also believe that a part of the reason my son hides from my mom and avoids conversing with her is because there's not enough of a connection between the two. Uh, As context, he always says hi to my dad, his grandfather, who plays with him a little bit more. And maybe she puts pressure on him, as uh, I mentioned before. I try to communicate with him on, I try to communicate how I'm trying to teach him, but often I'm met with defensiveness, and I am afraid that I may be pushing her, uh, her mom, away from interacting as much with my son. Uh, would love for us to be consistent in the way that we are parenting him, but uh, I don't know that may be realistic. 
this pandemic is so hard. Um, and and even even without the pandemic, I think um, a lot of times there's going to be um, a little bit of difference between um, how uh, you would like to raise your child and how our parents might want to um, be part of our children's lives. And it sounds like there's a little bit of um, conflict between um, your way of raising your son and your mother. I do also, I mean, part of it is, um, I think she is, it sounds like my, your mom does care for your child and wants him to have a good manners. It's just the, um, how she goes about it um, might be something that you, you don't um, agree a lot with. Um, I wonder if there, um, if there is what kind of actual uh, relationship that um, the mom actually has with grandma because I think um, that might be par um, part of the dynamic that's actually playing in here. Um, and also, I think what you said about the connection and um, the modeling the behavior is actually quite poignant and true. Um, he may not feel as comfortable um, and also a little bit more anxious around your mom because she does point out uh, things that he's not doing. Three-year-olds is like really, really hard. I, my daughter just turned four, so I'm like, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but I think uh, three is when um, kids are really getting the grasp of language, but also um, the concept of autonomy. And so they have like a real mind of their own. Um, so it's going to be really hard to force a lot of the behaviors on the child. And so hence the modeling is much uh, a better way of dealing with it. Um, and I mean, I think get to the point. Um, I think there are two things that you could do. One of them is actually trying to find out like, what your mom can do with your son um and it could be like 15 minutes at a time where she uh the activity that is enjoyable for both him and her um because i think he, he he might be playing with his grandfather more because he may be a, a active child but it could also be um you know just reading uh, for 10 15 minutes alone with grandmother so that she, he does start having that bond it's not even just him bonding with her, but she has to learn to bond with him as well. And I think um, having those little, um, you know, 15, 10, 15 minutes, even a day, I think it can make a difference on even on the adult's part. Um, so that may be helpful. Um, I think also the second thing that you could do is um, for, I think you, ha you do have to talk to your mom, but um, Maybe you could talk, the, the way that your mom needs to talk to your son is that she can point it out that uh, um, he needs to say hi or good morning, but just once. Um, you know, it doesn't, it, he, I think, I think older generations sometimes will um, press until the kiddo actually does the behavior. But that's kind of um, productive because I think um, it kind of attaches that negative um, feeling to actual behavior, right? Because I didn't want to do it, but I had to do it, right? Um, and so um, 
a part of part of the child would be like, I really don't want to do this, but I have to do it. And and you're right, like in the future, it's something that he might actually not want to do. Period. Um, as the kid goes um, gets older, so I do think that if she can um, limit the um, comments to once and say, um, yeah, you know, like uh, if if you can say uh, you uh, you forgot to say good morning this morning to grandma and leave it at that. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. You, yeah. you asked a little, you know, you wondered if there was a little bit more context. So I, I reached out to the person who asked the question, um, ironically, or I guess poetically, um, she's in the same room as her parents now. So she doesn't want to come on to share, but, uh, uh, share this over, over text. Um, uh, the, she does not have a super close relationship with her mom and, uh, my mom, and this is from her, my mom and uh, him are usually fine when I'm not home connecting. She's even mentioned to my husband that she wishes she had more alone time with him, but it's just so hard to do with the pandemic and the uh, constrictions on space and time. So, yeah, no, that makes really sense. Um, <laughs> you know, I actually have that um, with my my father-in-law. Um, nobody was like um, comfortable enough um, to leave my daughter <laughs> with my father-in-law. But there were times, this is before pandemic, but there were times where none of us were um, available and he had to babysit her. And it was like amazing. And he, like, you know, he raised above and beyond and he could put her to sleep uh, within 15 minutes and they bonded really well. I think for, um, it, it's really important to feel, the, for the grandma, I think it's really important for her to feel not judged either. Um, and it, it sounds like there's a conflict because uh, when she's when someone's defensive, it's because they they're feeling like they're being judged as well, right? And so uh, I, the pandemic's really hard, but sometimes um, you can actually utilize the time as a mom and say, "This is mom's alone time." Um, maybe you can um, go into your bedroom and have um, have a, have your son and your and the grandmother have that one-on-one time together and it doesn't even have to be long it can be 15 30 minutes at a time i think that's actually really helpful for both kiddo and and the grandmother to start having that bond um in the beginning it may be rough but the kid will understand that mom does need alone time so you can spin it that way that mom needs a little bit of alone time or go do work um and this is your time with your grandma and um so you know i think um, in in my practice, also sometimes I will um, have a parent or grandparent come in so they can start actually interacting with each other. And sometimes I'll give them pointers like, "Well, let's do a little bit of um, Legos, and I'll help you kind of uh, guide the child." But um, the key is that whatever they're doing, it doesn't even have to be something constructive. They have to be in the same room and the grandmother has to be attentive to the child, whatever the child is doing. Um, and that creates the bond that, that, um, that will help and mitigate this conflict. Thank you for that context. Uh, she says thanks. And uh, she thinks she just needs to find a way to communicate more effectively uh, using your suggestions. Um, and I think a little bit more structure with specific play items and not just watching movies together, uh, which happens in all of our households. And I think we need to be uh, a little bit kinder to ourselves because uh, there's a lot going on. Um, and we're, we're going now on about a year's 
worth of stuff. Um, and I agree. I did not leave my parents alone with my kids, even though uh, pre-pandemic, of course, they'd come over uh, to relieve us and, and to give us some relief. And um, I just felt like I had to uh, stay around and, and supervise the supervisors, if you will. And so um, it's, it's it's a delicate, delicate topic. Um, and, and thank you for that question and uh, answering that as well. Another question that we got from the Parenthood Together Facebook group uh, is how does, and it's, it's somewhat related, um, how does force feeding affect children? Uh, would love an answer to share with the grandparents. And I'm assuming here that the grandparents are doing it and she'd like to give them some uh, some ways to, to stop doing that. Um, I think um, this is a very sensitive topic. I think for many, um, many of my friends and many Asian American friends and myself as well, because um, I think we were taught to um, finish everything and you know eat what's given. But um, at the same time, um, I, I think many of us, well, you know, our, uh, our um, culture also puts a lot of emphasis on how we look, um, unfortunately. And sometimes it really kind of doesn't jive with um, how I want my child to be. Um, and the current um, guideline from uh, American Pediatric um, Academy American Pediatrics is that you don't you you put out the food and it's up to the child right um, um, to to pick how much they're gonna eat um, so mom picks the type of food but the ch- children should be the ones to decide how much they eat um, and this is a very intru- um, difficult topic for even uh, for non-Asian parents because two, three, four-year-olds, they can live on air. They don't eat. A lot of them don't eat. And so parents feel like they have to really push the eating. Um, but, um, you know, that really creates a lot of struggle. Um, and and I agree that um, force feeding will um, actually create a lot of baggage at the end of the um, day. So if you are in that mindset that you want your child to choose how much they eat, um, it's going to be really, really important that you talk to your parents about um, not force feeding the, um, the child. Now, I think um, it's not just about the feeding portion, but I think it's about, uh, for the parents, I think it's about setting the boundaries for your nuclear family from your parents, um, because it's not just about food. It's about, you know, um, just like uh, the last question, how do I rein in my my own parents to abide by my parenting rules? And how do I say no when I don't agree with what they're doing? One way is, well, talk to them, but it, sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> um, I think it's more important to focus on um, the well-being of the child, and sometimes that goes to the parents. Um, it's also about, um, you know, being okay with um, the fact that maybe your parents might not like everything that you do. And, uh, you know putting more emphasis and priority in what you think is important for your child. Um, and at the end, knowing that your, your 
the grandparents, your parents want what's best for your for the grand, grandchildren, and sometimes they don't know. Um, so it's it's that's that's a big issue, I think, in general, big theme uh, in Asian American um, family, not just uh, around parenting, but growing up, you know, um, identity, and um, and I think it's a kind of a lifelong journey to uh, establish that boundary. This next one's a little bit uh, tough, so I, I will read it, and um, if, if we need a little bit of time to process before we, we talk about it, um, here we go. Um, uh, this listener asks, um, my son is fixated and terrified at the thought of me dying. He's afraid if he goes to school, something will happen to me. When I went to the hospital to give birth to my second child, he didn't sleep for a month leading up to it because he was worried. And when I was still in the hospital, he definitely didn't sleep. Nothing I say seems to be able to comfort him. Well, that's really, really, really um, disheartening to um, hear that. So this is actually a non-uncommon issue for young children to worry about parents dying. Um, because if you think about it, like young children for survival, you need parents, right? So it is kind of an instinct um, to worry about the well-being of um, who's taking care of you. Um, for this particular child, it sounds like there's definitely something is a little bit uh, more than that. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm assuming that mom and dad have really prepped him about the second, uh, the brother or sister coming and that how she's going to go to the, the do- uh, hospital. And it really made him very, very um, upset and worried and he couldn't sleep for a long time. Some kids are born with anxious temperament. Um, it's not a bad thing. I think um, a little bit of anxiety in life drives people to be successful in life um, as long as the anxiety doesn't run your life, right? Um, the person uh, is able to control the anxiety enough that they um, it's a driver, driving force for their success. Um, but in this case, it sounds it sounds like the kiddo did um, let the anxiety really run his life and uh, had a really difficult time separating, going to school, um, and also sleeping at night because he's constantly worried. Um, in these cases, um, there are a couple of things that I would do. Number one is for kids with an anxious temperament, um, especially at this age, uh, the parents need to prompt them, give them a lot of prompts. So um, um, a lot of times I have parents um, prep. So for example, if um, they have to go somewhere, um, then you do talk about it at length. I've, I've had parents who look up the place, like if they were going to um, um, even a amusement park, they'll look up the place, give them um, explanation of what they are, what you're going to encounter, these are the pictures of what you're going to see, so that um, these, are, these are called social stories, um, so that you can actually let the kiddo understand what's going to happen. The unknown is what makes them anxious. So if you know a lot about what's going to happen, then it makes them feel better. It's 
it's also very important to talk to them about the feeling they're having. So uh, number one, validate their anxiety um, by um, helping them identify their feelings, saying, oh, you are worried for mom's health. And um, that must be really hard, the validation. But also um, uh, after that, you have to explain to them uh, what is really going to happen um, and basically clearing out what's unknown to the child. Um, Obviously at this age, it's um, a very simple explanation. As the kids get older, they'll be able to do this on their own as well. so that's number one. Number two is um, talk to them about the anxiety like it's a muscle. So it's normal to have worry, but um, we have abilities to kick those worries. Um, now you're a little small person, so that muscle to kick the worries out, it's very weak and it's small, but we have to practice on it so the muscle gets bigger. And it'll be able to, you will be able to kick the worries even better. Um, so a little bit of growth mindset um, that you can, you, you can teach your child that these are okay feelings to have, but here are the tools that you can use with me to help you feel better. Um, and then lastly, um, you know, if it's that disruptive um, to the child's daily living, um, it's okay to find a therapist. Um, sometimes um, a very well-trained play therapist um, that can work with um, three to five-year-olds um, would be very helpful. And it's um, it's not like a therapy that adults will do. It's actually very play-based. Kids can actually play out the scenarios that uh, they're worried about. And um Play therapists are very uh, trained to be able to um, navigate the play itself so that it helps the kids understand and get over those feelings. Um, so, I mean, this is like a big concept that I'm um, explaining, but those are the kind of the simple things that you can do to help to mitigate um, the anxiety, but also for your child to grow up to learn how to control their anxiety as well. Thank you for that. Um- this wasn't a question that we got, but it's been something that's been on my mind and I know on the uh, minds of so many parents. Maybe if they're young enough, they're not uh, at school yet. Um, but this was actually uh, a topic that ca- uh, came up in conversation um, in the large clubhouse conversation around anti-Asian hate um, with, with Daniel Day Kim and uh, Daniel Wu and Lisa Ling over the weekend. How can we, um, can we at all um, prepare our kids for what they might face in terms of slurs and uh, discrimination and some of the ugliness that we've seen happen, um, particularly for students who haven't uh, had to go to school physically, but they uh, are probably going to return soon. Do you have any thoughts to help parents in that regard? Yeah, it's, it's a really big um, issue nowadays. And, you know, I think we all feel it. Um, at, at any age, um, I think it's a very difficult issue, even for me to experience, and then to think about what am I going to do for my child so that I can actually prepare that. Um, and I, I think we, as a you know, 
for 1.5 or second generation uh, immigrants, I don't think we were prepared. <laughs> um, because our first generation parents have a very different idea or way of responding to the racism that they might have faced in their lifetime here. Um, but when, as we're talking about young children, um, the worst thing you could do is actually not talk about it. Um, uh, I know I've had some parents say, well, they're really young. Like, do we really have to expose them to um, ugly things in life? Um, but uh, my counteract <laughs> to that is, so if we protect them forever and they, you know, at 12, 13, you know, 17 and 18, if they face a hardship or racism, uh, acts of racism, how, how are they going to be prepared? It's going to be a culture shock to them and very devastating in a lot of ways. Um, and could shatter their idea of the world. Um, so I would like to have the parents actually talk about these things at a small doses, because obviously these, um, the, the kids we're talking about are very young, um, but we do have to start talking about not only racism, but race and America and also our Korean Americanness. Um, so you don't, have to start with like what's going on right now or what bad things are happening because obviously three or five year olds might not understand that but they they understand that there are different um people of color um they understand that not everyone's nice um and so you can explain um in a methodical way and it doesn't have to be in one setting but we can um you know we can kind of infuse these things into little ones and then once the kids are in elementary school or so, then you can start talking about um, acts of racism or um, discrimination. What is a discrimination? Um, and what are we doing about it? The best, the biggest part is that, you know, um, not just letting them know there are these things that's happening, but also for kids, especially younger, you have to let them know these are the things that we're doing to fight it. And these are the things that you can do to fight these things. Um, and there's so many books out now, right? And um, obviously there's a lot more books on um, Black Lives Matter. But I think um, in the past year, it's been um, come to our attention even more that um, as an Asian American or Korean American people, we do have to have more media presence, um, books for children um, so that we can actually prepare our children for these kind of things. It's a tough topic and I don't think there's ever uh, a right answer. And truthfully, I, I hope nobody's kids have to go through that. Um, so we have another question from uh, a, a big listener of the show. Uh, he wants to talk about how we deal with other parents, uh, friends of ours or parents of our, our kids, friends that we, um, spend time with. Obviously, this was more prevalent uh, pre-COVID, but um, he's witnessed some unfortunate uh, both words and acts from fellow parents uh, towards his kid and have witnessed it in other situations where they're reprimanding other people's kids in a way that you wouldn't. Um, for example, um, telling his, uh, before his kid was two, 
telling him to and demanding him that he express himself through words when he didn't have the capacity to. Um, I've also witnessed uh, another parent uh, get aggressive with a fellow parent because the other kid looked at his kid uh, weird. Okay, I don't understand that one. They're kids. Um, and, and two, and this is really heartbreaking, um, he witnessed through his uh, webcam at home um, after this happened that a, uh, so a house guest of theirs, um, a, another kid's mom, had shoved his kid out of the way and he fell to the ground so that their kid can walk through. How do we deal with this? I mean, is this... Oh my God, is this, this is, is really, awful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, but it, it's the competitiveness. It's it's the selfishness, I think, that... I mean, well, I, I want to ask, ask, I mean, I don't know if the um, person uh, who's asking the question is actually there, but I would, I mean, I would ask this um, person, the questioner, like, what reasons do you have to keep these people in your life? <laughs> I agree. I, know this I, I agree. Um, but I think I think you know, um, as a parent, not just Korean American parent um, or Caucasian American parent, or um, as a parent, universally, your job is to make sure that your child is safe, right? Um, and if if you do encounter these these incidents are described um, in, as a playground or even your house, um, this, is the, this is a grounds for me to say no. And you are not going to be near any, uh, you're, you're never going to be around my child ever again. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, it's not about the child. It's about, uh, it's about that person who pushed their child, right? Um, um, that's just a slice of what she's showing you. But what other things can she do that could be toxic, um, especially for young children? I think it's really important. I don't, I don't, you know, uh, put emphasis on like um, academic developments or you know language um, abilities. These things will come in in um, development at some point. All most kids do fine. But um, the biggest thing I emphasize for three to five or even one to five is they have to feel safe in the world, right? Um, and, and, and know that your parents are keeping you safe. If you are letting these things happen to your child and have a difficulty getting rid of these people, you are not going to earn the trust of your child. And that is the bond, the base of your relationship with your child that you're going to build on. And so I, I know it's a very difficult situation if it's like, you know, relative or um, a really good friend of yours. But I, I would, I don't, I don't even think I would have a conversation about why I'm cutting you out of my life. If they want to know, sure. But my priority is to protect my child and know that she's in good hands. Um, and if if these people are not the right people, um, you know, I think that's that's grounds for cutting them out of your life and cutting them out of your child's life. I agree. Nobody needs that in their lives. Same goes for, at least in in our household, people who don't respect 
the health guidelines, the masking policies and social distancing. Um, we, you know, it's, it's easy not to see people physically, obviously, but I, I've lost touch with people who don't respect, you know, what we stand for. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about modeling in the very beginning of the uh, talk today, but by actually standing up for your child, you're actually modeling the behavior that you're, you want your child to be. You want your child to be strong enough to uh, promote his own agency and safety. And if you're unable to do that in front of your child, it's going to be very difficult for that kiddo to learn that this is what's right for himself. So I think it's, it, you know, the, the parenthood really changes you because it's when it's you yourself, sometimes we make a lot of excuses like, well, that person might have had a really bad day or, um, you know, maybe I, I would have done, I maybe I have done something to um, offend him. And I've done this when I was um, in my 20s and 30s. And I make excuses for them. And I think that's part of like upbringing, right? We pay respect. Um, we are... Um, we are supposed to follow rules, um, and, uh, and, um, sometimes don't raise, um, hell when, when things don't look the best. Um, we just keep it quiet. But as a parent, I think, um, that changes because you are responsible for this child's life and safety and how he's gonna, uh, navigate the world that we live in. And so you have to have a sense of agency. You have to be strong and you have to be able to learn um, to stand up for you and your family so that um, your kids learn how to do that. Agreed. Um, I think this goes back because the person who asked this question immediately followed up with a qualifying statement after he shared the story with me and said, but they're good people. And I said, no, they're not. They're pushing your kid to the ground. (laughs) They're crappy people. But but I think this goes back to more, more of a, a cultural expectation and sort of what we were brought up with, right? Don't don't confront, right? Harmony is better than, than confrontation. Just, you know, suck it up and let it go, right? Which really goes into a lot of the things that we've been witnessing in our community overall, not just with parenting, right? How many times have our elders been attacked and they say, don't bother, right? I'll just, I'll just bear the burden. It's okay. Don't call the police. Don't report it. You'll aggravate them more. And, and so, you know, we, that, that conditioning, and I think, has gotten to the point, too, where we defend and, and qualify crappy behavior. And, you know, again, you're right. Our job is to protect our kids. And whether it is physically, emotionally, verbally, um, you know, making our children hurt intentionally, then they're not good people. Don't care how long the relationship don't care, you know, what they're, um, it doesn't matter any of that. And you're right. We don't need to justify protecting our own family and, and breaking our relationships. Um, it's, it's been, I don't know, for, for, for me, it's been 2020 has been an interesting time and continues into 2021 to reevaluate friendships and relationships that I have in my life into who is going to be there for me going forward, uh, particularly when times get hard, but who do I want around my kids? Who do I want them to call uncles and aunts and then grow up in that behavior? Such a delicate topic and such a challenging thing, especially if you belong to friend circles or uh, local communities that are anchored by something outside of your control, like school or church or anything where, um, you know, it's, it's tough. 
I uh, think, I mean, you can, you can definitely give them a benefit of doubt and actually have a one-to-one conversation and say, this is, this is something that I will not allow for you to do to my child. And if you are able to abide by that rule, then we can have a relationship. Obviously, really not very comfortable and <laughs> pleasant conversation, but it can be also a um, test of your friendship uh, and relationship with the person. Right. So if you can get through that conversation with this person and still have a relationship, then maybe it's something that's worthwhile. Um, and to add what Jerry's been talking about in terms of what's going on right now, I think times are changing. The generations are changing. And, um, you know, I, I see so many young people who are advocating um, Asian Americans and um, equality. And uh, to me, I think uh, we are evolving for the better and um, trying to become the bigger part of an actual, like, active part of America. And that's what I think of America, uh, when I think about America, where we are active participant of this society. And so I'm actually, it's a silver lining for me of what's going on right now is that there's so many, so many people mobilizing to do this work. Um, and it's very, um, you know, heartwarming to see that. I agree. I think um, we're at a turning point. I hope we're at a turning point. I hope that our kids don't have to deal with this stuff. I really don't. But it's going to take all of us. You know, there's a lot of people listening to this conversation now, and there's going to be more listening to it in the podcast format. But um, let's encourage each other. And let's really make sure and to keep each other accountable. Um, we want to give a quick uh, look ahead to our March content. We're going to be growing up uh, <laughs> with, with our, our content. Um, we're going to be featuring three amazing conversations with uh, people who are in, I guess, the elementary and middle school children raising area. Uh, we talked to pediatrician Clara Lee. We talked to uh, my childhood friend, William Kim, who is a principal of a middle school up in the Bay Area. And then we talked to uh, psychologist Angela Kang um, about social emotional learning. Um, and then we'll be back on March, uh, the final week of March, to have one of these uh, Ask Me Anything types of questions. So if you have not followed us yet, uh, and if you're just joining us or discovering us here for the first time on Clubhouse, welcome and thank you. We are at Korean American Parenting on Instagram and at or KoreanAmericanParenting.com. And you can find our podcast on Spotify and Apple and wherever you listen. Our inbox on our Instagram is always, always open. Uh, Jang and I monitor that together. And so if you have any questions or thoughts, uh, please let us know. If you want to ask us some questions um, that you don't want us to address on the air or on our recording, uh, we'll, we'll do our best to try to uh, help as possible. Uh, just as a reminder and a necessary uh, caveat, uh, Dr. Jang Cho is a psychiatrist, but this conversation was not medical advice. If she answered your question, she's not your doctor and does not have a doctor-patient relationship. And if you need uh, professional formal medical help in the term of finding a psychiatrist, we would be happy to make referrals uh, for you. She'd be happy to do that. Um, but this is just for your information uh, purposes only. We'd like to thank everybody who's joined us for this conversation live on Clubhouse and to those who are listening through the podcast uh, we'll be back for another set of question and answer at the last week of March, and we encourage you to catch up on some of the episodes that you may have missed. Uh, follow us along here on Clubhouse and on Instagram, and uh, be well, be safe. This has been your co-host, Jerry Wan, 
and thank you for tuning in.